Hello folks and welcome to another really good revision history podcast with me, Mr. Hutchison. I know it's been a while since I've done one of these, um, obviously with everything going on in the world at the moment, been very busy with my own students trying to prepare them for mocks and, and everything else, uh, but I will endeavour to get more and more of these dones, uh, done because, um, you know, I've had some some uh, lovely feedback from people telling me that they're useful. So I shall continue to ramble about GCSE history, uh, you know, as long as it's helping you guys. So I'm, 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 I'm fully intending to pick up the pace now after Christmas on these and really push, you know, um, make a real concerted effort to push through and, and get as many of these done as I can ahead of your, your, your this year. You know, if you're taking GCSEs this year, your final, your final exams are towards the, uh, you know, the summer next year. So, um, here we go, folks. We continue on. So uh, the last podcast was all about the, the Black Death, and that sort of finished the, the, the medieval period. We now move on to our, our second era, if you like, uh, which is the Renaissance. And today's uh, podcast is all about what developments were made. So we're thinking, still thinking about that overall question, you know, continuity and change. What changed as a result of individuals' work and events uh, in, in each era that we look at and what remained the same? And so this one is a little bit of an overview of the Renaissance, okay, um, moving into, and then, then future podcasts will move into specific individuals and, and their, their individual um, uh, contributions to the development of medicine. So we're talking about the Renaissance then, we're, we're sort of typically t talking uh, 1500 to around 1700 AD approximately, although I, you know, I hasten to add, as I've mentioned before, that it, it's not as simple as that, you know, this is a gradual process, it's not like uh, people go to bed one day and wake up the next day and they're, oh, we're in the Renaissance, it doesn't quite work like that. Some historians will put it a little bit earlier, around 1400 to 1600, you know, it, it, it's an approximate thing. For an exam context or within an exam context, you're more likely to see the, the actual dates written. So it'll have a little C, you know, circa 1500, 1700. So although we, we do talk about specific eras, you've also got to um, pay careful mind to the, the individual dates and when individuals and events were doing their work and when certain events happened. Remember, you've got to make sure that any history you are writing about um, is is within the the period within the question, but talking about the Renaissance, and Renaissance means rebirth. Okay, rebirth. So this really was an era of um, of of learning. Okay, uh, the Renaissance refers to a cultural movement that spanned uh, the the era. Um, you know, fourteenth to approximately seventeenth century, somewhere around there. It began famously in Italy uh, in the latter Middle Ages, and then but but then spread throughout Europe. And this is a cultural movement that includes not just medicine, but architecture, art, literature, theatre. Um, you know, mathematics, science. Uh, it, it, medicine is just a just a small part of it, and that's obviously where we're going to be focusing our attention. Now it it it's rebirth because um it's it's a it's a throwback if you like uh to a way of thinking that was popular during the, the sort of classical period. So it's a return in it's a return to a thought process, you know, 
about a willingness to challenge existing ideas, I suppose. I think that's the most important point to make here. So whereas the medieval period is sort of typified by um, the church dominating uh, medical thinking and therefore sort of suppressing it and censoring it, come the Renaissance, that, that is less important. And scientists, doctors, etc. start asking questions again. They start to look back at people like Galen, Hippocrates, and start thinking about why they were so successful. How come things haven't moved forward, really, since they were at their zenith, you know, since they were practicing? And, and they realized it was because they were challenging. They were asking questions. They weren't just accepting, um, you know, traditional explanations for everything. They were, they were, they were endeavoring to investigate and challenge and build upon um, existing knowledge, etc., etc., and so what you have in the Renaissance is the rise of something called humanism, which goes hand in hand with this sort of changing way of thinking. And humanism is the focus on the rational. So rather than just sort of accepting God as the explanation for, for everything, I suppose, you know, uh, what you've got now is a more investigative, you know, um, scientific, rational way of thinking. So because of that, you begin to see more developments in medicine um, and without the, the shackles uh, of the church as well. Now, in saying that, there are many of the beliefs in what cause disease stay the same. Um, so these sort of outdated theories such as the, the four humours, miasma, it grows in popularity, you know, these are still the more dominant theories about what caused disease. There's a lot of continuity here. However, in saying that, there are individuals and, and other factors that led to change. So you've got individuals like Vesalius, Sydenham, Harvey, uh, the uh, establishment of the Royal Society, um, amongst other things that led to this uh, steps forward, you know, positive change um, and further discovery, really. So... What I'm going to just run through now are sort of six key developments, six, six features of the Renaissance, if you like, that, that sort of led to, led to change. And at the end, I'm just going to summarize it all together with, with some of the, the key changes in beliefs and, and, and um, treatments and some of the sort of key continuities as well. So this one will be, should be, in theory, a nice sort of uh, succinct and, and short podcast, a nice little burst overview of the Renaissance. Uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll see where we go. If I'm still talking on the 20-minute park, park, uh, mark, I apologise in advance. So here we go. So, um, and again, and again, you know, at this point, I'd just like to, we, I am talking quite generally. Remember, this is a Brett study. Um, and so we're looking at these huge sort of vast uh, periods of time sweeping changes so inevitably i'm going to be talking more more uh, more generally you know you think back to the brett study um i've done podcasts on uh, the reigns richard and john that's the uh, topic that that focus on in, in my school 
you will you will notice if you if you listen to those they're far more detailed because you know that's the that's the level of knowledge that you need for a for a depth study whereas this sort of breadth it's more about changes over time so you know it, it feels a bit weird to be talking so generally uh, but um you know it, it, it suits this kind of study so I, I just sort of like to to make that clear before i move forward so here we go uh first general point then uh governments were stronger and richer and more stable uh and again i know generally generally speaking uh the economy prospered trade prospered okay so people could generally afford that treatment that they, they were unable to afford in the in medieval period and also um uh people could some people could afford to study and become scholars you know they they, they because of the uh, stability of the uh, country they were living in because um of of the uh a better economy um they could afford to to become become scholars um the power of the church begins to wane as well partly because of this rise in humanism and and rational thinking but also because of specific acts so for example in in england you know we've got the uh, act of supremacy in 1534 which makes uh henry the eighth the head of the church of england so it breaks away from the catholic church but what that does is it, it, it limits the the power of the church it's just another reason why power of the church begins to sort of wane and therefore you know that that it's less oppressive in terms of its hold on on medical thinking they're no longer censoring as as strongly and so it, it frees people to to ask those ask those questions we've also got technological developments as well so um um, artists such as Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, Titian, they revolutionized painting. And you start to see these far more realistic, uh, more detailed paintings uh, and sculptures appear during the Renaissance compared to the sort of two-dimensional, uh, out-of-proportion artworks that you get in the medieval era. Now, you know, no less beautiful, wonderful paintings in the medieval time, uh, in medieval times, but... Um, not not detailed not realistic uh so you know ao2 explanation from a sort of medicine through time uh point of view know that this allows a more accurate depiction and more accurate diagrams of the human body to be printed and therefore you know doctors can learn um or you know potential doctors can can learn more about human anatomy and the human body that way and so ideas are, are spread uh during this uh revival of learning um you know the rise of humanism you you've also got um universities establishing schools of medicine you've got uh, the beginning of, of of scientific method so rather than sort of being dictated to and reading from books particularly galen and hippocrates now you've got more experimentation observations coming to a conclusion criticizing building on ideas and so they're you know linked to the the rise in humanism is this sort of change in in the way people learn um and so they begin to as i say conduct experiments and this leads them to question the knowledge of of those that had gone before and so rather than the works Galen, Hippocrates Galen specifically, uh, being uh, championed by the church and therefore any questioning was was brutally, uh, in some cases, uh, brutally sort of smashed down. 
um, you haven't got that. You know, the, the power of the church is waning, but also you've got this new way of thinking. They're beginning to question uh, those people that have gone before. And so uh, finally come the Renaissance, you know, they start to, uh, to, to, to see and discover the inaccuracies that, that, that Galen and Hippocrates specifically, uh, you know, the, the mistakes they made. You know, and part of that is, is dissection. You know, what a great example. So the church wouldn't allow dissection. But uh, you do have the first public dissection uh, somewhere in Europe, forgive me, but it's in 1404 and by the 1450s it's sort of normal. So right at the end of the medieval period, sort of going into the Renaissance, um, you know, dissection begins to happen. It's done in a different way. Um, I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast. It's done with a, a professor reading from Galen and, and barber surgeons or perspective surgeons cutting the body um but if any inaccuracies were found it was the the body that was blamed not the book part of the reason for that was because this was vivisection they were uh you know uh, cutting into uh, the bodies of criminals and therefore you know the the idea was um of, of course that their their bodies are different from from ours because they these are evil these are delinquents you know um and so dissection it, when when it starts in the sort of mid to late 1400s um doesn't really lead to much progress but it but it's a step forward right and we're going to look at a character called Vesalius who begins to change how dissection is done and it's much more closely uh to to, to the dissection that we have today you know encouraging people to to uh, or encouraging perspective doctors to cut the body themselves and then question and 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 experiment and, and observe themselves uh so although dissection is heavily flawed when it first appears it does represent significant progress because it's now being done um but by the sort of uh, uh 1530s the, the way in which it's done it begins to change as well don't forget the printing press. I think this is a significant one. Uh, 1440s, widely used by the 1470s. So again, at the end of the medieval period, moving into the Renaissance. But think about your explanation here that AO2 is not good enough just to say uh, the printing press was invented and therefore this spread uh, ideas. They, it spreads medical progress quicker, more cheaply as well. And mo perhaps most importantly, uh, without the... Uh, intervention of the church you know it can circumnavigate the uh, the censoring of the church because um you know the, the these don't have to be written by monks by hand and the other thing of course is if you think about medical textbooks think about a medical textbook today you would expect to see lots of diagrams um you know that wasn't possible before uh because books were printed by hand you know if, if i could quite happily sit and copy out a book but uh, you could give me an accurate um, diagram of the human body and I could do my best to copy it but uh, you know my art my art uh, my skills in art are flawed to say the least so I, I quite simply wouldn't be able to to accurately uh, reproduce a diagram uh, so it'd be of no use to anyone now when you've got the printing press um, you you can do that and so it allows for accurate diagrams of the human body and anatomy to be spread um, and therefore you know that that helps these ideas it helps with learning so you know just be again aware i know i've said this many times but be aware of you know the difference between just telling a uh, examiner what happened and explaining why it's important or why it led to change uh you know half your marks if we're talking about the nxl exam which is you know the one my students take um half your marks on on, on some of the questions are 
in fact, over half the marks are some of the questions are, are, are your AOT, your ability to explain and argue and come to a conclusion. So you've really got to go beyond just what I call regurgitating the history and, and, and get into the realms of explaining, using it as evidence to, to maintain an argument. Also, um, Europeans uh, land in America in, in 1492 as well, and they bring back new medicines, they bring back uh, tobacco, uh, amongst other things as well, so it leads to new treatments. So, for example, smoking pipes and tobacco to combat the miasma, um, you know, becomes quite a popular thing. Uh, inaccurate if you were writing about the medieval period, you know, it wasn't done, say, during the Black Death, even though they, they, they had a, a belief in miasma or that, or that was beginning to gain traction then. Uh, they didn't have access to tobacco. That wasn't until 1492 uh, when uh, Europeans uh, land in America and start bringing it back. Um, so, again, new foods, new medicines uh, brought back as a result of, of Columbus uh, landing in America and sort of opening it up. Uh, to, to Europe. I don't want to say discovered America, you know, because there were many people living there very happily and had been for, for, for centuries. Uh, so discovering, I think, is a clumsy word, a very Eurocentric word to use there. But um, yeah, sort of, you know, yeah, that, that bridge was, um, you know, forged between uh, Europe and, and America, for want of a better expression, in, in 1492. Okay, um, new weapons, you could argue that as well, you know, gunpowder weapons, uh, mortars, uh, cannon, uh, leads to different style wounds, which allows uh, soldiers to see uh, inside the body in different ways, and they have to adapt and deal with different wounds uh, because of different uh, types of weaponry that, that previously was, was, was not, a, not a problem. And of course, overall, folks, um, you know, this return... to um, more mathematical, scientific, rational way of thinking. As that rises, of course, the, the, it, it's, a, it's a challenge to traditional ideas and a challenge to the, the church's considerable influence over Europe. So that doesn't mean that the church had no influence. It doesn't mean that people didn't become, or sorry, or, or stop being religious. That, that is not the case. And as you see, when we get to 1665 and the Great Plague, you know, people still very much um you know use religion and prayer as a as a as a preventative method uh for getting ill um you know people are still genuinely god-fearing you know that people are still genuinely god-fearing today so be careful in the language you use it's just that the power of the church as a as a as a sort of uh, force for censorship as a force for um repressing ideas that begins to wane um, it's not quite as oppressive as it was during the medieval era for all the reasons that I've been through, but it, it, it's still a factor. Okay, overall then, similarities, miasma. Uh, it does begin to be separated from God. Now, remember, in medieval times, miasma was linked to God. God sends the miasmas. Miasma begins to become its own sort of thing. Um, you know, the, the fact that bad smells cause disease directly. And miasma becomes the dominant theory right up until um, the discovery of germs in the 1860s. Um, many people still believe God's punishment is a reason for disease. Uh, people are still using herbal remedies. People still use am amulets to ward off, um, um, you know, uh, 
evil spirits and disease and so, so there's still a lot of superstition i'm going to talk to you about the king's evil in a in, a, in another podcast and you know is a great example of, of this sort of superstition people still using bloodletting as a treatment um so there is still some basis on the four humors although that is now being heavily questioned or it begins to be throughout the period as uh, Galen and Hippocrates' uh, uh, mistakes are, are highlighted. In terms of changes, then, we've got the rise of humanism, so asking questions instead of accepting God as the explanation for everything. You've got, uh, linked to that, you've got a greater questioning of Galen and Hippocrates, with the power of the church becoming becoming less, um, making that possible. You know, they're no longer actively stopping that from happening. And that's, you know, a good example of that is shown through uh, the allowance of dissection from 1404 onwards. And also linked to that um, is new technology so drawings uh, the printing press in 144 which limits the power of the church allows uh, ideas to be spread quicker and cheaper without church control you've also got towards the latter end of the period the microscope in 1683 and there's discovery of something called animacules which is the um you know, they look down the microscope, they're powerful enough to see little uh, creatures running around. Uh, but importantly, they don't yet link them to disease. Uh, so even though animacules have been discovered because of new technologies like the microscope in 1683, uh, it had not yet been linked to disease. Another change is uh, the idea of transference as well begins to appear in, in the Renaissance. This is the idea that you can transfer your ills or your illness, I should say, um, into another uh, creature. Um, and that, I suppose that, that actually really starts in medieval age, doesn't it? Because we see a bit of that during the uh, during the Black Death, you know, the idea of putting dried toads on your buboes to suck the the poison and the the disease out um it becomes more popular during the renaissance and you have these sort of weird um examples of people bathing with dead foxes and things like this to try and sort of absorb their cunning and absorb their agility so you've got some as i say some real sort of weird uh superstitious uh treatments or preventative method methods so transference then this is either uh trying to draw your illness out and into another creature like a dead chicken or a dead toad or you know trying to draw in the the positive attributes of a uh, of a creature um as well now that, that that's a theory that that sort of rises so uh some continuity plenty of change plenty of change if you get a question on the renaissance i think yeah and again i'm talking about the nxl um paper specifically here but equally relevant for for any medicine through time course uh that you're doing i think uh if we're talking about changing continuity with the renaissance i think you've got a real opportunity here i think there's a lot to get your teeth into a lot of great examples and a lot of fantastic potential for that ao2 you know that detailed explanation linked to the question um so yeah i think that's it for this one folks what time are we on 22 minutes there you go i said it was going to be a quick one i apologize for for overrunning it was always going to happen if you listen to my podcast you know i do tend to ramble but listen folks i hope you found that useful um next one we'll start focusing on individuals now so the next podcast will focus on vesalius specifically and then we'll start looking at harvey and sydenham and finally 1665 as i say i hope you're finding these useful keep working hard and uh i'll see you again next time Bye bye